0: Welcome back everyone. I bring to you yet another episode of Tell a Friend. Now today is rather a special episode because firstly, you get to see me, which may be fortunate or unfortunate for some of you. But secondly, what truly makes this a special episode is that we were lucky enough to be joined by legendary journalist extraordinaire Zainab Badawi, who discusses her recent documentary series, The History of Africa. Her documentary series was released on bulk by BBC News Africa and I truly recommend it. Now in this interview we discuss the filming of that series, the politics of African history and the global movement to decolonise the curriculum. This is my interview with Zena Badawi. Okay, first of all let me thank you for agreeing to this interview and I wanted to speak with you about your recent series, The History of Africa, which was released on bulk uh, by BBC News Africa just a few days ago and I was wondering if you could begin by telling me what inspired you to make the series?
1: Well, I should say that, yes, it has gone out on YouTube, but 15 of 20 episodes have gone out on YouTube. There are still five remaining, which have to be broadcast on BBC World Television before they can be put online. So you're seeing three quarters of the uh, the series. Um, but very glad to have it on BBC Africa YouTube, because it means obviously it can reach a wider audience, including here in the United Kingdom. Why did I want to make this? Well. I uh, studied history as a postgraduate student, so I um, obviously love history. And the main reason that I wanted to do African history is, first of all, I was born in Africa, in the Sudan myself, although I've lived in the United Kingdom since I was two. I was born in the Sudan, which is a country which has a very, very rich history. And it always um, troubled me uh, that uh, people from Sudan actually knew very little about their ancient history. And as I explored This theme a little bit more, I realized it was actually something that was true of many Africans, especially those educated in the West, that they didn't know very much about their early history, um, pre colonial history. And so I decided to embark on this long journey of um, trying to really throw light on an aspect of history which has been occluded, and that is Africa's history, pre colonial, and especially told from an African perspective.
0: Now, back in 2017, you called this a Pan-African project. Why was it important for you to integrate the different histories of the different regions? And how did you go about doing that?
1: It's a very good question. It's just I found that uh, people would say, oh, I'm from Southern Africa, so when are you going to make something about Southern Africa? Oh, somebody says, I'm from East Africa, when are you going to do something about East Africa? And so I say, look, just in the same way that Europeans, regardless of whether they come from Northern Europe, or Southern Europe, or Central Europe, will see, for example, ancient Greece and Rome as being part of their cultural heritage. And they see that uh, you know there is a lot that they have in common with these ancient civilizations. They formed the foundations for European societies as a whole. And I think that that is something that I wanted to see replicated in Africa, that you wouldn't just hug the part of Africa from which you came, but had more of a continental approach. And so the history of ancient Sudan is as much relevance to you if you come from Southern Africa, the history of Great Zimbabwe is as much of relevance to you if you come from North Africa. And so that's what I mean by it's a pan-African project. We are all Africans. We all came from this one continent. And therefore, I think that one should not sort of start slicing bits of the continent and say, this is the part I own. And therefore, this is the part I want to know about.
0: And something else that also stood out to me from your TEDx talk was where you spoke about African history being a tool for change and you said, and I quote, history from the African point of view is something which allows you to have self-respect, have a reclaimed identity and help you assert yourself on the social, political and cultural agenda today. Now, in your estimation, what role can history play in shaping contemporary Africa?
1: Yeah, I mean, people say, oh, history is something to do with the past and so on. But actually, it isn't. It's relevant. You can't understand a people if you don't understand their past. And when you look at the United Kingdom, especially where we're living here, you know, so much of uh, Britain's identity is wrapped up with its history. So it's very obvious that, um, you know, one's identity is linked to their history. That's something which is stating the obvious. And because Africa's Pre colonial history has been um, something that's not been related, and Africans themselves have not grasped that narrative themselves, seized the ownership of it. It's for the large part, a large part of it has been told by outsiders, by the Africanists, as opposed to the African historians, paleontologists, archaeologists, anthropologists, and so on. So it's a question of ownership of your own narrative, that's very important in helping forge your own identity, and also seeing how a people understand themselves and their own past uh, within their own cultural context. And so that's why I think that a um, person's um, history is is very important because uh, as Rangari Mathai, the very acclaimed late Kenyan Nobel Prize, when a peace laureate said you can't enslave a mind that knows itself that values itself that understands itself and history and knowing who you were in the past is a very important part of that so um i think that's what i meant by that particular uh, um you know quote that you gave me there and it's relevant today because africans say we're not happy about the narrative about us in the Western media and the international media. And so you've got to seize the control of that, Durant narrative, right from way back. And you've also got to predate it to slavery. So it's not just a history of the transatlantic slave trade and what came after it, but it's also what came before.
0: Now, it's interesting you um, said about that, about reclaiming this history. And as we've seen in the past five years, there's been this international... Decolonizing the curriculum and decolonizing history agenda that's um, been spreading almost a movement. Would you say that this documentary series is in the scope of that?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Very much inspired by the decolonized history movement because, um, and this is a project that's been ongoing for many, many decades, and I'm very glad to see that younger people now have seized the mantle because uh, when African countries were decolonised back in the 60s, they said, OK, look, we've decolonized our countries, but we have to decolonise um, our curriculums. And this is something which actually has taken a very, very long time to do. And it still hasn't really been done. If you go to South Africa, you'll still see that a lot of their history is, you know, Jan van Riebeck turned up in the 1560s in, 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 Cape, in the Cape. And, uh, uh, you know, there is a lot of work to be done about that. And and even when you look at um, the role that slaves, the transatlantic slave trade and the riches gained from that and how much they contributed to building fine cities in countries such as the United Kingdom, that's still a history which um, still hasn't been properly examined. But it is a movement that's starting. You've seen universities like Cambridge University say, look, a lot of our wealth was based on wealth gained from the transatlantic slave trade. You hear about the movement within cultural institutions um, like the Victorian Albert Museum, President Macron in France saying we've got to have um, objects of art that were taken from Africa um, repatriated. So it is very much part of the zeitgeist, this series, and I see it as being part of this kind of reclaiming uh, narrative.
0: Now, on the subject of museums, what role do you think Western institutions such as the v the British Museum, what role do you think they could play in helping Africans reclaim their own history?
1: Well, that conversation has already started. And certainly you hear the British Museum saying it's going to start, you know, giving artifacts on loan, at least, and maybe long term loans. So maybe the issue of ownership won't be um, sold for some people. But there is an actual repatriation and the return of um, some objects which are already, is already being done. And so I think cultural institutions and museums do have a large part to play. They're obviously right in saying they want to make sure that there are the secure and uh, you know correct environments for some of these um, works of art, which are quite fragile and need to be properly maintained. And when you saw what happened, for instance, in Timbuktu in Mali, which was overrun by extremists and So you saw that some of the precious artifacts and uh, documents were um, obviously destroyed. There's got to be a certain amount of security that has got to be guaranteed. So the recipient nations have also got to play their part. But if you take the example of the Benin Bronzes in southern Nigeria, uh, there is a huge museum that's being built there under the auspices of the Oba of Benin. And he's had very extensive conversations with the British Museum about having some of the Benin Bronzes put on display there. So it is a conversation which is, fortunately, ongoing now.
0: Now, a striking um, aspect of all of this uh, discussion about repatriating artefacts is just how politicised history has become, or maybe has always been. Do you think you can ever truly have an apolitical history?
1: Well, history has always been contested. You're absolutely right. And, um, you know, there is that saying that you have in Africa that uh, when the lions... Have historians, then the hunters will cease to be heroes, and so often you do have a history which is a narrative that is one of the victors, and uh the victors in the context of Africa obviously have been in more recent years the colonial powers, and so you know there is an extension of that in that people say, "Look, the international economic order is still loaded um, in favor of the former colonial powers and against the africans, and so When it comes to relating history, it's all part and parcel of this kind of power imbalance which has existed for a long time. And power, of course, is about politics and the maintenance of certain narratives that may suit those who are in power um, is something which uh, one has got to be aware of. And the revision of um, history, or rather the recasting of it and giving the African perspective, um, I suppose you could see that as a somewhat subversive act um but really i think it's just um setting history straight which is very much my hashtag set history straight um mm-hmm. and that's what i'm doing is that these are valid opinions which cast the african historian and other experts center stage and really is testament to the hunger of of that um that sentiment when i ever i go to africa and i interview Experts there, you know, they they just want to talk and talk and keep me there. And I have really long interviews because you never see these characters. If you look at these programs, you'll see a whole cast of um, experts and who know their, really know their history. And um, they are, you know, telling it as they want to. And I've been very much guided by UNESCO's General History of Africa, which is a set of volumes which bring Africa's history from the African perspective. And so if anybody disagrees with what I say, I say to them, well, look, go and take it up with the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization, because that's really where I base my facts.
0: Now, interestingly, uh, you actually spoke with some of the original uh, contributors yeah. to the volume. What was that experience like?
1: Uh, absolutely moving, especially Mokhtar Bo, who was the uh, Director General of UNESCO, the first African to lead an, a United Nations agency. And um, he was instrumental. He was at, at uh, UNESCO for thirteen years, really instrumental in making sure that the general history of Africa maintained its momentum. And he was a man in his in his nineties. And he said to me at the end of the interview, "You know, Zainab, when I look back on my long life, this is the project about which I am most proud." And I found that extremely moving.
0: And. Um... Many people may not know you are actually the executive producer of this series.
1: I did it all, Brian. I wrote, <laughs> directed, produced well. I mean, the first series I did have some, uh, you know, good help uh, with um, Bridget Osborne and Lucy Doggett, who also stayed on for the second series, and then we brought James Hickman on for the second series. But it's just I've seen very series made where you've had lots of cooks. And I think it ends up being very disjointed. And so it was just simpler for me in the end to try to keep everything in my head. And so that's the way I approached it. It was very much a labor of love. It was extremely time consuming, very tiring. We went to more than 30 African countries and off the beaten track, not just, you know, capital cities in plush hotels, not at all, Uh, you know, filming from dawn till dusk filming with African crews each time because it's very important they also own the the, the narrative you know in terms of the actual film work and um so I yeah I think it was it it, it was something I felt very strongly about and therefore I had a very hands-on approach to
0: the whole project. And when you were putting the series together were you more interested in focusing on the history of the rulers and um The ruling elite or were you more interested in the history from below, the history of the everyday man?
1: Yes, I mean this is a problem for all history of course, it's always the rulers that one knows more about because they are the ones who've been recorded, but um, where possible I tried to make sure that we included not only historians but also what you might want to call you know non-historians, the ordinary citizens of these countries, so that they would also contribute to the programmes. But obviously, in terms of the characters that we know about, Queen Nzinga in the Congo, Kemper in the Congo, um, you know, Kahina in in North Africa and Pianki in Sudan, that it is often a history of kings and queens and nobles, the rulers, because they are named. They are the ones who have the physical depictions of them in sculptures or pictures. And so just as British students will engage with Um, British history, Henry VIII and his six wives, you know, there is a large part of the road of history to engage people is through personalities, real life characters that you can really um, relate to and see them depicted. So obviously the the rulers would be the ones who got more of the lion's share Mm. of the coverage, but I would hope that... uh, we didn't just concentrate on kingdoms but also looked at um you know kingdoms. it's not just a history of kingdoms because africa is more than just kingdoms
0: now in the academic community there's sometimes a bit of academic snobbery towards uh tv history as it's regarded have you had any pushback from the academic community
1: uh, actually no the academic community have been very very um very supportive I mean, television is obviously not an academic endeavour. You know, I'm glossing over huge tracts of history in maybe just a minute or two. And some of the subjects I look at are worthy of tomes written about them, and indeed they are. So I don't set out to pretend that I am all inclusive. I didn't visit 54 African countries. I could not make 54 programmes. So this isn't a history of African countries. It's looking at the regions. And obviously a lot of these countries didn't exist until relatively recently in terms of history. But I think all I I aim to do with this history series is is to inform you about aspects of African history about which you didn't know to excite your interest so that you will go and find out more and also hopefully to do it sometimes where it's appropriate in an entertaining and engaging way because it is television and obviously it's every programme is 45 minutes, which is quite an investment of time for you young people. And so um, it, it couldn't be an illustrated lecture. So there were times when obviously I would do things which were visually rewarding, but maybe argument wise were not so profound, but that's because it is television. So I think the idea is just to say, look, you may hear about um, an aspect of African history and I've given you the name, I've given you the year and so on, or the time it happened. If you want to go and find out more about the Mali Empire and Mansa Musa, for example, I can only spend a few minutes doing that.
0: Now, as a producer, would you say that was one of the most challenging aspects of it, striking that balance between entertaining and educating?
1: Um, Yes, although I've been in television for such a long time that, I mean, I I think that uh, even for complex issues, they have to be told in a simple way. And I don't think that there is any merit in having um, complex topics dealt with in an obscure way. And so trying to do things in an engaging um, way, I think uh, I was always looking for ways of of human interest, of relaying the story through human interest. So, for example, the first episode about the origins of humankind, it's difficult to have a programme that's 45 minutes long that's just about, you know, stones and bones. People are not going to watch that. And so um, I thought about it very carefully, but I did know about the Hadzabe community in Tanzania, a very small community who live out of choice, out of choice because they want to, in a way which is very in tune with nature as hunter foragers in the way that we all would have lived many years ago. And I thought that that would be a good way of illustrating how humans lived as hunter gatherers for most of our history. So... By engaging with this community, it's bringing human interest to something which might otherwise be a bit dry. So, I think that's a very, very prime example. And some people said to me, Oh, you're just going to fall into the trap of um, showing Africa through the, in inverted commas, exotic tribe lens, which is so condemned and which we all condemn. And I said, No, I'm not taking them out of context. Within context, if you watch the programme, it very clearly states that they choose to live that way. And they've been offered um, accommodation by successive Tanzanian governments. And actually, what a fine example they set to all of us who live in this material world where we have much, much more than we really need. I think we could all learn profound lessons from the
0: Hadzabe community. Now, what would you say was one of the most rewarding aspects of filming this series?
1: You know, actually, I was just talking about the Hadzabe community in Tanzania, who are a community who... Live in the way that our forefathers and foremothers lived. And I would say that actually I found them to be the most profound and the most, the the thing that had the greatest influence on me, the group of people had the greatest influence on me were the Hadzabe community of Tanzania, because we learn about respect for nature from them. We learn about respect for our fellow community members. They don't have a sense of the individual's rights, it's always balanced. Um, you know, against what's good for the community. They, uh, if a mother has a child and she's not well, she can rest assured that other women in the community will help her, you know, look after that child until she's better. There's a clear division of labour. Everybody pulls their weight. And so I found them extremely profound. Um, Their diet is a very healthy one. Vegans and vegetarians would not approve of it, of course, but we can't. Dictate to them how they should live their lives. Um, so, of course, they do eat meat, but they have a, a life that's just stripped of excess. And I think that wherever I go now and I think, mm, might be nice to buy a nice new dress, I'm like, no, no, you've already got plenty. Don't need to buy anymore. So, I think they were a great antidote to our fast modern way of living.
0: And actually, um when I was watching that first episode, um, Mother Africa. I think it was called it took more of an anthropological turn which um was quite interesting in the series because the rest of it i guess it all kind of blends into one but that one stood out to me as more anthropological rather than historical in its focus
1: yes yes that's true i mean history and anthropology you know work hand in glove and i did study anthropology and sometimes i do have an anthropologist's eye um certainly um one of the programmes, programme 15, no longer at ease is also quite an anthropological approach because that looks at how Africans were living in their communities pre-colonial before the arrival of the Europeans in the up to the 1500s. So that also was seen very much through the anthropologists lens, because I think in order to understand a people, you need to understand how they order their societies as well. And so sometimes you would absolutely write delve into the realm of the
0: anthropologist. Now, when people are reflecting on African history, it can invoke a sense of white guilt, especially amongst Western audiences. Was there something that you worried about, about the reception that white audiences would have to the series?
1: Um, I did think about how uh, people, who, European descent, white people would see the series, in particular members of the white community in parts of southern Africa and Kenya, who are long settled there. Um, People like Richard Leakey, who's a white Kenyan, whom I interviewed in the first programme. I mean, he would be terribly affronted if you said he was anything other than Kenyan. Um, The same with uh, the South African Francis Thackeray and Nigel Penn later on in the series I interviewed. So I I, I did include um, these three white African voices to... Demonstrate that there are people who are white and see themselves as African and have lived there in some cases for hundreds and hundreds of years. Their families have, and so we did. I did include them in the series, obviously numerically not more than these three. Uh, how Europeans might view the uh, European the transatlantic slave trade would they feel uncomfortable about it i don't think the sins of the father and mother should be visited on the children at all but if it does take um an african perspective and not a european perspective which it doesn't at all i make no apology for that because really it's only a tiny drop in the ocean of trying to redress that balance between history of africa seen through the White perspective and the history of Africa seen through the black perspective, and that's when I'm talking about in the global narrative.
0: Now, if there's one resounding message that you want people to take away from watching this series, what is that message?
1: That Africa has a, Africa and Africans have a wonderful history, the longest history in the world, and one which has not just been defined by slavery, one um, which was has, you know, taught the world a great deal. Another message is that Africa is the greatest exporter of all time because everybody came out of Africa, all modern human beings. And I think that uh, another thing is for Africans themselves to understand that you can't just retreat into your own nation. And when people say to me, where's the history of my country? Where's the history of my country? This isn't an exercise in nation building by me this is a history of the whole continent your region will be covered whether it's north south east or west i can't put everything in it but i would hope that in 20 45 minute programs that i've at least had as broad a sweep of the continent as i could and that um really it's uh throwing light on africa's history from the african perspective and that's something which the whole world should know because African history is part of our global narrative.
0: Zainab, thank you so much for joining me Thanks. for this interview.
1: Best of luck to you and all your fellow students, wherever you may be. Thank you very much for letting me join you on your podcast.
0: Thank you.